0: Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest. We are talking about abortion today. Um, And so, with me, as usual, Chase Byers from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jeff. Joe Works from Elmira, New York.
1: Hello, Jeff and Jace. How are you all doing today?
0: Drew DeGrotto is in the background. Uh, making sure that we do things technologically correctly, and also he'll probably help keep an eye on any comments. And, you know, guys, one of the first things I want to do today is ask our viewers, we're going to be talking about what the Bible teaches about abortion, relevant to abortion, Um, but also we're going to be talking about some of the arguments people would make to either justify abortion or defend abortion. Um... And what I'd like our viewers to do, if you would send us your comments, arguments, maybe you think it's a good argument defending abortion, or maybe you don't believe abortion is right, but it's an argument you've heard. If you just stick those arguments in the comments section on the Facebook page, or you can send them to us by way of BibleQuest.tv using the Q&A icon there and we'll try to take a look at the various arguments that people have brought up defending abortion. Guys, let's start with this. What does the Bible teach that would bear on this question? What does the Bible teach that would help us decide uh, what God's will is regarding abortion? Where would you start?
1: One of the first things that I would do is to try to understand where God views life. Uh, At at what stage? Is there any indication in the Scriptures uh, at what stage God views uh, something as being alive or um, uh, being human, particularly in this case? And, and we have some things
0: that are kind of anecdotal in the Bible, and then we have some things that are more conceptual. And, um, but but one interesting little thing that's often mentioned is in the story of uh, John the Baptist and and uh, Jesus' birth um, in Luke one, right?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great uh, text to help us see what's going on pre-born.
0: So what you have here is the angel. Well, of course, the the story starts out with an angel speaking to uh, Zacharias, the father of John. He's not yet the father of John, but he's going to be. And an angel tells him that even though his wife is very old and barren, I like the American Standard readings, which says she was well stricken in years. Um, but now she's going to have a son, and he's amazed. Uh, And without going into all of that, the next thing that we find is in Luke 126, uh, in the sixth month, which would be the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's carrying the baby John, an angel speaks to Mary and says she's going to have a child. And, of course, she's astonished. Why wouldn't she be astonished at this? Elderly. Well, no, not about Elizabeth. Why would Mary be astonished? Mary's going to have a child.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. She's not married. She's a virgin. She's a
0: a virgin. And uh, so the thing that is said to her in verse 36 after explaining to her, well, this child is going to be begotten of the Holy Spirit. Um, But then she's told, Elizabeth, your kinswoman, she also has conceived in her old age. And then it says, "No word of God shall be void of power, in other words, God says that it can happen. look here your your relative who's very, very, very old, is going to have a baby and so the next thing Mary does is she goes to see Elizabeth, and this you can imagine would be would give her confidence. Wow, if Elizabeth can have a baby i uh, I guess nothing's impossible with the Lord and so she goes to see uh her relative, Elizabeth, we get to verse 41. It came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she lifted up her voice with a loud cry and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For behold, when the voice of your salutation came into my ears, The babe leaped in my womb for joy. So here, this this baby in her womb, people today, I guess, would say fetus, John, who's going to be John the Baptist, um, is is spoken of as a being capable of joy. Now, I grant you, there's some extraordinary things. There's some miraculous things going on in this story. I don't know that it's every child that is going to leap with joy hearing that outside the womb there's another woman who's expecting a child and it's going and the child's going to be the messiah so there's yeah. some miraculous things going yeah. on i
2: think you see the hand of god in that for sure
0: you see the hand of god and yet still there is this this story which then characterizes this child as as a human being as as a child as a sentient being to use a phrase we were talking about before the webcast today right
2: yeah that's right yeah, and see uh, a lot of people who who are not for and they, they don't think uh, we should be preaching from the Bible that abortion is wrong. That is one of the arguments that they'll lean on. Uh, the word sentient. Am I saying that right? Yep. That a baby is not sentient, and so because of that, you can go ahead and take the life of a child. But I don't think that's what we see here in Scripture.
0: You know, sentient is an interesting thing. There, there, there's a whole spectrum of sentient. Some of us are less sentient than some of us, even outside the womb. Inside the womb, I'm sure. Babies are not doing calculus. They're probably not translating uh, from one language to another. Uh, they can't think about all the things that you and I can think about. But do they have some degree of, of uh, sentience? I remember seeing in the womb, as on a sonogram, I remember seeing my son sucking his thumb in the womb um why does he suck his thumb why does he do that well i guess you could say it's just purely instinct there's nothing there but when they come out of the womb that's a comfort thing it's they have that instinct to suck and they stick the thumb in is that the same thing that's going on inside the womb i would suppose it is
1: and you know many of the videos that have been done that are sickening to watch that shows an abortion taking place indeed shows that the pre-born child does feel things. They, they do react, um, you know, so they, they feel pain. They are sentient. We have
0: laws and court rulings when somebody is going to be put to death on death row, taking great pains to make sure he feels no pain. And if he feels any pain, then that's going to be uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And yet we see clearly these children – in the womb, being aborted, feel pain. And somehow we see that as okay, or and, at least people
1: do. Yeah, and, and another concern that I would have is, at what point do we draw the line then? Do we go toward the elderly and go into the nursing home and see people who are not functioning at some acceptable level right. and decide that, well, that person's not sentient? That they, right. they have no rights to, to life as well. Um, it, it certainly is a slippery road to, to travel right.
0: we 're getting some good help from our viewers supplying us with the arguments that are made in defense of abortion keep those coming we 'll get to those in just a few minutes but let 's turn to a few more passages in the Bible just helping establish the, the biblical perspective that we that we 'd have i 'd like to go to exodus 21 next um, this is an interesting passage you guys are familiar with this context where th- there 's a, a A variety of laws uh, in this in this passage. Um, And in (coughs) the chapter, there are some laws pertaining to violence when people get in fights and things happen, right? That's right, yeah. Verse 22: if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child. I'm interested, uh, who has the English Standard Version? Anybody, either of you guys? I've got one handy right here. Pull an English Standard Version down. The, the, the New American Standard says, if men struggle with child with each other and strike a woman with child so that she has a miscarriage, we use the word miscarriage to mean that the child comes out dead, the child dies. But there's a footnote in the American Standard, and it says, literally, her children come out. In other words, it's not saying one way or the other whether the child lives or dies. It just says her child comes out. Uh, what does the English Standard Version say? I'm thinking it's one that words this a little differently. Is so that
2: 21, 22? Yeah. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the, woman who hit, uh, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. It's a woman's husband, child, Sure.
0: If, if I'm responsible because I'm in a fight with some guy and through negligence or whatever, I end up striking this woman and she gives birth prematurely, prematurely, uh, even though the child may live, that, that was negligence on my part and I'm liable to pay a fine there. But then it says uh, in verse 23, but if there's any further injury... And the words any further are added in italics in the New American Standard. It just says if there is any injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It doesn't make a distinction between the mother and the child. It just, if there's any injury, whatever, and that would seem to be applicable to mother or child. Well, what's that doing? That's treating this child as a life and And I could be responsible with my own life if I end up causing that life to be taken
1: great, great. The, the the new king james uh, what i 'm using says gives birth prematurely there in verse twenty two as well so uh, I think the the more common translations understand that to be speaking in those terms of the baby being born but but being born alive. So we've had a couple of
0: passages here that give us some indications that the child is regarded as a life in the Bible, the child in the womb. But stepping back a little bit, what, what, else, um, what else would we need to consider if we're trying to figure out what our view about
1: abortion should be based on God's Word? Let me, let me throw in one more verse if, if it's okay. Uh, yeah, and, go ahead. Before you're going or not, but one uh, I thought about uh, Ecclesiastes 11. Um, I don't know if this is on your uh, list or not, um, but in Ecclesiastes 11 and in verse 5, Solomon says, As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child so you do not know the works of God who makes all things. Ah, I think that's very valuable. Um, From a couple of different ways. One is God is the one who's forming that child, forming the bones and so forth. Uh, So it's, it's God, the one's doing the work there. The text identifies that unborn as a child. And then also something that, doctors and scientists even acknowledge to this day, even in the midst of this debate about abortion is that we don't understand everything about how all of this goes. Most scientists, most doctors will say we cannot pinpoint exactly from a scientific vantage point when it is a human or when it is a life or whatever. Well, and so he makes that point here. It's God's business. We should leave that to God and not, and if we're going to err, Certainly, we need to err on the side of not taking a life.
0: Along those same lines, Psalm 139, verse 13, For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the child in the mother's womb being, being something that God is weaving, he is creating this child, which then brings us to the question, What right do I have to destroy this this little life if this is something that God is bringing about? Um, Psalm 127 is another psalm that that I think we should go to. Um, Psalm 127, when you guys have verses 3 through (coughs) 5?
1: Yeah, I got it. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, so again, the perspective is uh, children are a heritage. They're a gift from God. Um, You know, we talk about accidental pregnancies. One of the things to keep in mind is that if we start with the Bible— sexual relations are supposed to take place in marriage. Marriage is created by God uh, as a relationship partly uh, intended to bring forth children. If I am somebody who is God fearing, if I'm somebody who sees myself as a creature of God and sees the sexual relationship as a creation of God and sees it as belonging specifically in marriage and not elsewhere, and that marriage is partly designed to bring forth children, then my attitude toward this whole process, including the children that are conceived, is going to be, well, this is part of what God wills. This is part of God's plan. And the idea of taking the life of one of these children would just be abhorrent. It's, It's the opposite. It's contrary to what God has in mind. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, my mind also goes to Genesis 9 after they come off the ark um, and God tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. One of the things God says in Genesis 9 and verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God. He made man as for you, be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. God's plan for them once they stepped out the ark was to multiply. But on top of that, I think you really see the lesson here on men are made in the image of God. When someone is born and when someone is conceived, they're the image of God. And whenever you are murdering somebody,
0: you are really, in essence, messing with the image of God. That's and why. that's what it is. It is It is murder. It's, it is taking a life. It is willfully taking a life. You know, m- my wife's college biology teacher would say, look, it, it's it's human. That's scientific. It's not canine. It's not bovine. It's not feline. It's human, and it is living. That's scientific. It's not dead, and so if it's not dead, it's living. And so if it's human and it's living, it's a human life. It's and and that's what we're doing. It's murder when you when
1: you take that child's life. So uh, maybe if I can just insert here in Psalm one twenty seven to I guess two two thoughts. One, what you were describing, Jeff, is is the ideal situation. It's God's plan. We're certainly, when, when we say that this is, you know, the, that this child is the will of God, that, that, that this is his plan, we're not discussing some situation of rape or something like that. We're not suggesting that, that rape or, or is the will of God or anything like that. We're talking about the, the right. plan of, of God. Sometimes people will take some statements and run with them and think of some exception. We just want to be very clear that we're not suggesting that a woman that has been harmed in some way Uh, that that's what God wanted for her or anything else. Right. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm
0: sorry, I interrupted you.
1: Well, as I say, to go along with that, because of Psalm 127, not only should the young mother with that unborn child feel that way, but society should feel that way toward her as well. And so one of the things that we talked about in wanting to present this text or or this topic was wanting to, to show the balance we're not suggesting that, oh, you got pregnant, you're stuck with that child, that's your problem, but you can't kill it uh, because we're pro-life. This, these passages instruct us to support those women, to help them um, in, in whatever ways that we can. Uh, it's one of the great things about God's family is that even if somebody makes a mistake and they get pregnant out of wedlock or whatever, uh, that other people will rally around and help them. Uh, in the, the situation that they find themselves in.
0: right? Okay. So
1: we're, we've got a lot of comments
0: coming in with people giving us examples of defenses of abortion. So we're going to get to that in just a second here. Um, anything else we need to say just from a standpoint of what does the Bible teach? What perspective should we have from a Bible
1: perspective? I, I think these passages are pretty clear.
0: All right, so let's turn to some of our viewers, and Chase, you may be able to help us, or Drew, you may be able to help us keep track of the viewers' comments, the defenses um, defending abortion, um, and what do we have so far? I've got several written down, but maybe we'll get straight to our viewers' description of yeah. the defenses of abortion.
2: One, one, of the ones, uh, one of the first ones that came in is uh, one defense of abortion rights said it is the woman's body and because it's the woman's body, it belongs to her. And the decision to abort that baby, since it's inside of her body, is up to her. It's her right. It's in her body. She can do what she wants
0: with it. Yeah. So there's several, several things that we need to say about that. Um, the, the most obvious is, is the, the usual reply. And, and that's, well, it, we're not talking about just her body. There's also the, the child's body. Uh, but there's another passage that I want to call to our attention. Again, if I'm somebody who's God-fearing, if I believe the Bible is the Word of God, this idea that my body, my right, that's contrary to the very mindset that I'm supposed to have. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19. Paul here is, is arguing against fornication. He's talking about the fact that I don't have the right to just go out and satisfy my sexual desires, Uh, outside of marriage. And, um, you know, somebody says, well, that's what I want to do. It's my body, my right. Paul says, no. Uh, Paul says, verse 19, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, in your body. Now, I realize not everybody's a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, that's a problem. You've sinned, and you need to be reconciled from God to to God. And you can be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. But if you are reconciled through the blood of Christ, then that blood has purchased you. And you belong to God. And your body is not your own to do with as you please. Other points you would make when somebody says, my
1: body, my right. So... I've been accused that, that this argument is an extreme and uh, and is offensive, and I'm glad for that, uh, and so I, I want to use it. Um, self-mutilation or suicide, mm-hmm. uh, would would we make those same arguments for those? People who are involved in self-mutilation, cutting themselves, harming mm-hmm. themselves, sometimes even amputating parts of their bodies. Right. Um we would recognize they need some help. They, they need some psychological assistance because something is wrong with them. Right. When somebody tries to take their own life, people rush to help. Not too long ago, a young man committed suicide because, and in the process of it, his girlfriend was texting him, encouraging him to do that. She went to prison because of that. Right. right. So I think, you know, if all the, all the, <laughs>
0: She she could have defended herself. but It was his right to do that. And exactly. so if I'm encouraging
1: him to do what he wants to do, what's wrong with that? It, it's not my body, my choice to to harm my body. And so we would recognize suicide would would not fit that category. Neither would homicide. To, for a woman to kill a young child inside of her body would, would be no different. If it is her body, she doesn't have right. I don't I don't have a right to do what I want with my body. I, 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 if I go and try to commit suicide, I tell people I'm going to, they're going to call the authorities and and seek to to have me uh, evaluated and and helped and get me over that.
0: I see one comment from a viewer just popped up as you were saying that somebody says, I'm a self mutilator and I'm doing all right. You know, here's the problem. None of us are doing all right, separated from God. We think we're all right. We, we, our hearts are still pumping blood. We're still breathing air, Uh, We may be even having a good time, having fun here or there. But every day, we're getting a little closer to death. Every day, as you get to a certain age, your body is wearing out. And that is the result of sin that's in this world. And I, being guilty of sin, am just headed toward eternal condemnation. So I'm not doing all right. And what we need to do is start back with God's word and say, wait a minute okay, here's what's wrong with me, my sin, how can that be fixed? Oh, okay, so Jesus has died for my sin, and he's shown me how to live in conformity with God's will, the one who created me and can give me eternal life, and that's the only way that I can really be doing all right. Do we have any other comments from viewers that are related to this, my body, my right? Maybe that would be a response to to what we've said that It's not just your body. It's the child's body or to the idea that I don't have a right to do with my body as I please. Any other comments from viewers along those lines? Not not along those lines. Uh, Just another common argument that people have heard. Okay. What's uh, another argument that people have heard defending abortion that you see there from our viewers? Uh,
2: That it is bad to bring a child into this world full of pain and misery. that Uh, That is a very common one. I've heard that as well. Yeah. Um, it it might be better, and some of us. This comes from maybe somebody, uh, and oftentimes when I hear this argument, this is the case. This is somebody who is also miserable in the in the world. Um, they they don't have a lot of hope. They don't have a lot of peace, and so naturally they think, you know what? If I can stop a life from coming into this horrible world, um, I'm actually doing them some good rather than any harm. And so I do understand the logic that comes from this argument. But guys, what 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 would scripture have to say about that?
0: So, so my thought is, and you've kind of alluded to it, you, you observed this is coming from somebody who doesn't have a lot of hope, somebody who is despairing himself or herself. And again, this is the consequence of sin, but this is not what God wants for us. There's Paul's language in Galatians, the first chapter in verse 4, um, talking about Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil world. There's an acknowledgement right there that there is a present evil world, that there is much evil in this world. You know, most of us can manage to find a lot of joy and happiness in this life in spite of a lot of the evil that's in this world. But we need to be cognizant of the fact that this world is full of evil. And if I've experienced so much evil in my lifetime, that I almost wish that I didn't even exist. What I need to understand is I can overcome this evil world in Jesus Christ, and I can have an eternal life with God separated from this evil world. And the child that is in a mother's womb can have that also. That child being something God is bringing about, uh, Yes, I may say, well, if, I, if that child is born and, and lives, this child is going to experience a lot of pain. Yes, but that child can, through Jesus Christ, come to have eternal life and escape this present evil world. And I'm really playing God if I decide, nope, nope, there's, there's not enough hope. Nope, this child just needs to die. I am playing God.
2: And if we see, if we see the world through the eyes of what you just described, that, that there is hope in Jesus Christ, then we can influence that child. Um, your your whole perspective changes at that point from thinking, Oh, I'm going to save this child uh, from having to deal with all this. Now you get to see it from the perspective. I, as their parent get to influence them uh, to turn their life over to Jesus and find hope and peace um, in him and overcome with the lamb.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, we've, we've all heard a lot of um, comments defending abortion. Um one one argument is that you should not impose your morality on others. So if your morality uh says that and this kind of goes along with the the Bible says don't judge, you know. In fact, I was in a conversation with a, a, a woman who's pro abortion just recently. And she kept bringing up the idea. The Bible says, "Don't judge." The Bible don't say, says, "Don't judge," and you can't impose your morality uh, on others. What about that? Was
1: she saying you were wrong for doing that?
0: Well, I think that's what she was implying. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. She seems sort of judgmental with that.
0: Yeah, she. In fact, she said I was a hypocrite. <laughs>
1: no, but I mean, she, but but she's so she's judging you in the in the process. Was, of course, no nobody actually believes that uh wouldn't make that argument with all kinds of other situations what about the adulterer uh you know the 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 rapist uh, yeah. uh all kinds of other situations are presented where somebody doesn't say oh don't judge only god can judge um uh, you know what about the person who who steals um you know, you know there there is morality and uh, we need to encourage people to follow god 's moral laws, and I think that 's one of the important things we 're not imposing our morality we 're trying to point out what god 's is
0: yeah and and if we can make this observation i 'm all in favor of states passing laws banning abortion I'm, I get excited every time a state does that, but in this what we 're talking about today is not advocating for state legislation what we 're talking about today is advocating for people to to do what God's will is, to follow God's will. And just as surely as as I might tell somebody, the Bible says that you shouldn't have sexual relations outside of marriage, or the Bible says that you shouldn't steal, or the Bible says that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Um, am I imposing my morality on somebody else? No, Joe, as you just said, what we're saying is this is what God's word says, and we're trying to tell people what they need to do in order to be able to to be right with God. And there was something else. Oh, uh, the idea, let's see. uh, Oh, judging. We need to look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 1. It's interesting to me, the number of people that know almost nothing about the Bible, but know that the Bible says somewhere, judge not. And it does. It says it right here, judge not. But just as surely as they know very little else about the Bible, they don't really know what this context is talking about. Um, in Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. Or, uh, yeah, it shall be measured unto you. The point is, he's talking about you, you can't have a double standard. You can't have a standard of judgment that's very strict for others and very lenient for yourself. And he makes that clear in verse three, why do you behold the moat or the little speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the beam that's in your own eye. I've got this big log sticking out of my eye. And I say, Hey Chase, you've got a little speck in your eye. You ought to get that out. Well, that's ridiculous. And Jesus is meant he's meaning here to paint this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of double standard as meaningless. And so then it says in verse uh, five, you hypocrite. So it's condemning hypocrisy. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye. And then what does it say to do? Cast out first the beam out of your own eye and then do what?
1: Then you can help the other to see. Yeah,
0: help, help him get the moat out of his eye. So it's not saying don't tell somebody he's got a speck in his eye. It's saying, hey, look at the big problem in your own life first. Uh, don't have this double standard. And then he says, give, that, give not that which is holy to dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. But he's not talking about four-legged animals. He's talking about people here. And that requires a judgment, a perspective uh, on who it would fall into this category. Um, so the Bible isn't saying don't point out something that's wrong. The Bible is full of pointing out things that are wrong. And, and we have responsibility to do that in our own lives and also with those that we care about.
2: Yeah, we we just got a comment that um, I think would be good for us to address. Um, The comment says, you get excited because it gives you more power and control over women's lives. You should try getting pregnant that comes with all the health risks and physical torture that your God cursed women with. Most men can't even handle a cold. And uh, what what this viewer brings up, I I think, is a a helpful thing to consider because a lot of people look at us – the, the men that we are, and we say, how can you all say that, that it's wrong to have an abortion when you don't even know what it's like to have a kid in the first place? Um, but I, I want to reiterate something that Jeff pointed out earlier in the podcast. Um, we're just teaching truth here. Uh, our goal is to teach the principles that God lied, laid out for us in the Bible. It is true. No, I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. Um, my, my wife is pregnant currently. And if I could take a smidgen of that pain away from her right now, I would, but I can't, because that's not how God made us. But in uh, Mark, the sixth chapter, John the Baptist went and he was told um, to go to Herod. And he had to tell Herod, hey, it's wrong for you to have your brother's wife, Herodias. Um, Herod wasn't a Jew, but John the Baptist still felt the need and the right to go and preach to Herod that what he was doing was sinful. And we have the same responsibility, those of us who are Christians. And, and if you are a Christian, and you do believe uh, that the word of God is real and true, and you do believe that abortion is wrong, you have a responsibility to go out and teach and preach that message. And that is simply what we're trying to do here. Good point. Um, and so it is true. Yeah, I'm not, I can't relate to that. Um, but I, I still see the truth in the Bible. And that's what we're trying to share with everyone right now.
0: Good point, Chase. And I'm looking at these comments coming in, I'm seeing the same individual, he identifies himself as Rosebud, he or she Um, says in making that point that you quoted or in submitting the statement that you quoted, uh, try getting pregnant that that comes with all the health risk and physical torture that your God cursed women with. You see the animosity toward God. And then a little bit later on, the same viewer says, "Uh, this makes me not want to follow the Bible. It's so judgmental. Here's the observation I want to make. I have little hope of convincing somebody who doesn't believe God or doesn't want to yield to God or submit to God, somebody who believes we're just accidents having evolved from natural selection by chance, I have little hope of convincing somebody who's coming from that perspective that there's anything wrong with abortion. Uh, but I would say this, generally speaking, people who are advocates of abortion, uh, they resent God's judgmentalness. They resent the idea that God says you need to live, you have to live this way or make these choices. The whole argument, the pro-choice argument, is a self-centered argument that rejects the idea uh, of a God who tells me what I have to do. And so I'll just put it plainly this way. It's people who do not want to submit to a God who tells them what is right and what is wrong, who are also the most um, vocal abortion advocates. Those two philosophies go hand in hand.
1: You know, we could use those very similar words that that Rosebud had stated. Uh, I've actually had adulterers, men who enjoyed committing adultery against their spouse, who made very similar arguments uh, that, you know, God is so judgmental. All I'm doing is having fun. Does God hate me? You know, he gave me this desire, uh, all these sorts of things. The fact that am I going to submit or am I not going to submit to what God wants? If I want to do what I want to do, then I'm probably not going to get along with God.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, this, go ahead, Chase. And no, uh, I was just going to touch on what Joe said. The, the, one of the biggest parts of the gospel message is submission. We submit to God's will and we set aside our own. And so when we come at it from that perspective, I think we start to see the biblical view.
0: Yep. If any man wills to do his will, you know, I choose to do God's will, not my own. First Peter chapter four contra- contrasts the lusts of men, the <laughs> desires of men with the will of God. And it's time past uh, to to be doing our own desires. We need to start listening to God's will. People talk about all the, People talk about all the heartache and sorrow in this evil world. You know where that comes from? That comes from everybody just doing what he wants to do. If every one of us just does, I want to do what I want to do, there's going to be a lot of conflict. There's going to be a lot of heartache in this world because we're going to get in each other's way and we're going to uh, prevent each other from doing the things that they want to do. And and um, that's going to be a problem. Uh, I want to mention one other argument defending abortion And that is, they say, the infant is not uh, able to live on its own. It's dependent. In fact, the word lately has been used, parasite. And so they say this child cannot live on its own. It's dependent upon its mother. And so it's all right to take the life of the child. What about that argument?
2: Well, I think it comes from the idea of any other disease. You know, uh, if I have some type of tumor and it's causing me to throw up and it's causing me to do all this, uh, what's the natural conclusion? Get rid of the tumor. Um, Do what you can to get rid of it. So I think that's kind of the flow of thought that comes from it. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, um, let's take that child, though. Let's take it uh, a day after it has been born. It's now outside the womb. Is it now independent? Is it able to live? without its mother or without assistance from other people? Absolutely not. You take a day-old child or a week-old child or a month-old child, and unless that child is cared for by others, that child cannot live. It is totally dependent upon others. Uh, You could say it's a parasite if you want to. That child is totally dependent upon others. If, If the argument is that while it's in the womb, we can kill it because it cannot live independently, then the same argument would apply after the child has been born. Ah, we've got a yes. viewer who comments on that. It says the difference would be that after the child is born, you can give it to someone else. What about that?
2: I would say do it. Um, it I think that that is a better alternative than. But abortion.
0: it's also true. You can you can give it up for abortion. I mean, I give it up for adoption. You can give the child up for adoption before the child is born. You can just say, okay, I'll give this child up for adoption. I made that point to a pro-abortionist recently, and she was talking about the idea that um, so many children uh, that are that in that category. Age out of the system. Uh, you know what? When we're talking about newborns, there are more want parents wanting to adopt than there are babies up for adoption. Joe, you you want to say
1: something? Yeah. There? So maybe another point to be made is that actually we're changing the subject here. Yep. The the if the argument the argument is made that it's okay to kill that preborn because the preborn it can, is cannot survive on its own that is a separate argument that that child that that preborn cannot survive on its own outside the womb that that's the argument that is made forget about the adoption or whatever that's the argument is made that baby does not have the right to life because it cannot survive on its own a one week one month one year old after birth is the same way right we're changing the argument to say, but it can be given to somebody else. It still can't survive on its own. Yeah. And so if if that's the, we have to get rid of that argument, then we have to acknowledge that argument's not good.
0: I, I see a lot of this in those defending abortion, changing the argument. For example, here is a defense. This is verbatim. I'm quoting from the woman that I was having a conversation with about this verbatim. She said, what is cruel is pretending you care about embryos when there are children who are in cages because of Republicans. That's kind of changing the argument.
1: (laughs) Or or
2: Another popular one popular. I don't understand. This is someone's argument. I don't understand how you can be pro-life and pro-death penalty. Um, And I get, I get where the logic would come for that, but we are talking about two different things. Yeah. Um, A place where someone has judge jury, a, a team of lawyers supplied for them and and they have committed some type of crime opposed to this innocent baby that's just sitting in a womb. We're talking about two completely different and, things, but by the way, let me just say, I'm not making a statement about death.
0: penalty. Yeah, but I you're mean, right. It is two different things in this sense. Whatever is true or not true about the death penalty doesn't change. Whatever is true or not true about this child. If you can make the case that there should be no death penalty, then instead of saying, well, let's have abortions, you say, let's not have abortions. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Uh, Here's another argument that has been made uh, repeatedly recently, and I'm quoting from a pro-abortionist here, but I've heard this from more than one. What is cruel is forcing a woman to have a child she cannot afford and cutting wick, welfare, chip, Medicaid, and other benefits that she would need to support the child you force her to have. Okay, so what about that argument? Basically, it's saying, if you're not going to pay for the child, then she should be able to kill it.
1: Let's do the same thing with a one-month-old then. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, again, that, 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 is, that is confusing the question of whether that is a child, whether that is a life or not, so, the way that it's going to be taken care of. And by the way, I'm, I'm in favor of society one way or another helping those mothers who have become pregnant. Maybe the father is a scoundrel and has ran off or whatever. Um, a similar argument was made recently that in light of the Alabama, Georgia laws, recent laws and states that a father should therefore be required to pay child support for the preborn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: of that is amen. Yep. The father ought to be providing for that. Yep. Uh, You know, that goes back to the Psalm 127. God's plan is that this child is a blessing. The father and mother both should be responsible for them. Right. Exactly. Amen. Mom's problem. She's got to take care of it on her own. That's not God's way.
0: No. But if somebody else doesn't follow God's way, that doesn't justify me for not following God's way. Exactly. Well, we need to get to the one thing we wanted to wrap this up with was the idea of forgiveness because there are people who have had abortions and very much, uh, very much regret it, and sometimes feel very guilty. Well, I can understand that it it, it was the wrong thing to do, but can you be forgiven?
1: And, and so, I'll just read this quote really quick from the Gospel Coalition, which I know nothing about, but I thought this was a really good article. I'm just going to read one quote. Most women seeking abortions aren't uber political. They aren't members of the aggressively pro-abortion Twitter argument-waging shout-your-abortion crowd. They aren't calculated murderers they're afraid. Mm-hmm. It was pretty insightful to think about, and I don't know what the exact statistics are, but I suspect that a lot of that is true, uh, that a lot of the women that are seeking abortion, they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go, and then after they've, after they've committed that abortion, now they suffer with great grief, In statistically, in large numbers.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, just real quick, since you m- mentioned that, Um, People talk a lot about, well, what about rape incest? We're not going to have time to talk about that specifically, but let's just say that's not the reason for most abortions. This is an article from General Hospital Psychiatry, Volume 27, Issue 1. This is from 2005, Reasons for Induced Abortion and Their Relation to Women's Emotional Distress, a Prospective Two-Year Follow-Up Study. And just uh, in the abstract, it talks about what they did. They had 80 women included in the study, and they looked at the reasons for abortions. And the reasons related to, quote, education, job, finances, also, quote, a child should be wished for, end quote, quote, male partner does not favor having a child at the moment, end quote, quote, tired, worn out, end quote, quote, have enough children, end quote, Uh, quote, pressure from male partner, end quote. Basically, what we're seeing is most abortions have to do with the mother or the father or both don't want the child for one reason or another. And so when we start talking about extenuating extenuating circumstances, we're really talking about people just don't want the child. But let's get to forgiveness here. Can you be forgiven? And we're going to have to wrap this program up. We're about out of time. But can you be forgiven?
1: Just like all the other sins that, that, that we commit, males and females, absolutely yes by God's amazing grace. David
0: uh, committed adultery, tried to cover it up, ultimately killed the husband of the woman, and is forgiven, held up as a, as an example of being forgiven. People who crucified Jesus could be forgiven. Manasseh was somebody in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 33, who made his son pass through the fire, which I understand to, to mean he was sacrificing his children. He was killing his children. Is that the way you all understand that? Yep, yep. And later on, he turned back to the Lord, Uh, and it says in 2 Chronicles 33, well, I won't take time to read it, but he entreated the Lord in verse 12, humbled himself greatly before God, and knew that the Lord was his God. And as I take it, Manasseh uh, was accepted back into the Lord's good graces as a result of all of that. So there's an example of somebody who did kill his children and could be forgiven. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm, kind of, I didn't save enough time for that last part, but we are out of time. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you'll join us again next Wednesday afternoon for another Bible quest.